0: Uh, First Corinthians chapter 10 is where I want you to find yourself in uh, your copy of God's Word today. While you're finding yourself there, uh, let me tell you a story that I read about a young soldier that was caught slipping back into his military camp one night after midnight by the military police. Being suspicious of why he was outside his camp, they called the commanding officer and they came down to interrogate him. He said, Son... What are you doing outside the perimeters of this secure camp? And the young man said, Well, sir, I'm a believer, and it is my practice to find a quiet place to pray every night. And all I was doing was going out and spending some time with the Lord. The commander said, So you went out to pray, huh? He said, Yeah. He said, Well, let me hear you pray. And the guy dropped to his knees and began to beseech the good God of heaven. And he'd been doing it for about 30 seconds, and the commanding officer said, Okay, stand up, son, I believe you. He said, nobody can pray like that unless he spent a lot of time practicing. And I get that feeling every time Melody prays, don't y'all? Thank you, Melody. You bless us by praying for us uh, the way you do. Acts, I mean, Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we are. So it begs the question, if your life was dependent upon your prayers, would it be spared or not? 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 is where we are today. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 23, and we're going to read through 11 in verse 1. You do know that chapter and verse divisions are man-made. Uh, they're not part of what we get as inspired scripture, so they have been added. And sometimes chapter divisions don't really fall where the paragraphs break. Uh, If you have a Bible that marks all paragraphs, you'll see that the new paragraph starts in verse 2 of chapter 11, so that's the reason why I'm running all the way to the end of this paragraph, even though we're going across a chapter division. Uh, This is a very tough uh, passage of scripture for us, simply because it deals with uh, some cultural issues that were specific to the first century world in Corinth. Uh, Paul is dealing here with the subject that was, uh, you know, a real perplexing uh, subject for believers in Corinth. It had to do with meat that had been sacrificed to a demon god, a false god, or an idol. And, you know, a lot of folks say that the Bible doesn't record cultural trends, only eternal truths. And I I would agree with that if we're talking in principle. But make no mistake about it, the Bible was written to a very specific audience who lived in a very specific time in a very specific location. So we can't help but see that there are some things that deal with those specifics in Scripture. So I have struggled with this passage this week. I mean, it it was like uh, pulling teeth to get to the heart of this passage of Scripture because I, I can't think of anybody today that struggles with that. I mean, when you go down to Piggly Wiggly, do you wonder if that meat was sacrificed to a false god? I bet nobody has that as a burning question in the back of their mind. Now believe it or not, that is a question that some of our missionaries have because uh, some of the people groups that we're engaging do just that. And they will leave uh, food offerings for these uh, demon gods that they serve. So in that context, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 may speak a little more pointedly. But for you and I, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's the principles here that we're after. So I want us to look at the concluding part of this discussion and that's why we're jumping down to, to, the, to the last few paragraphs because here's where Paul wraps up this entire discussion about meats that have been used as religious sacrifices to demon gods. So verse number 23, here's what the Apostle Paul says. All things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Uh, Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am imitators of Christ. Well... Why were the Corinthians struggling with this burning uh, burning question of should I or should I not eat meat that I know has been used in a religious ceremony in sacrifice to a false god? It was a question that plagued them because there really was no specific black and white word that they could look to and says, Thus saith the Lord in regards to meat sacrificed to idols. It was a gray area. Now, gray areas are abundant. Uh, It seems that most decisions that we make in life, we find that are in these gray areas, and a gray area being one of these decisions, just like meat sacrificed to idols, that we really don't have a black and white definitive word in the Bible about what action you and I should take as believers. I mean, there's a lot of gray areas in life. And we've got to learn to navigate those gray areas based on biblical principles. So I want to speak to you today on this subject, Guidelines for Gray Areas. And again, boy, grace groups, uh, we're going to be all over this. Uh, uh, Gray areas. Uh, An area of life, a decision that you have to make that you don't have a definite directive in the Bible to which you can go and follow as the normal, standard, ethical response to that particular question. For instance, gray areas. Let me name a few And this week in Grace Group, I want you to help me expand this because we certainly can broaden these topics of gray areas. I mean, right now we've got a lot of gray areas in the area of ethics. And boy, uh, ethics departments and universities and colleges across our land today are in high gear as it relates to ethics. It's a field of philosophy that naturally deals with right and wrong, but here's the problem. Most of those ethics departments don't have any standard by which they determine right and wrong like you and I do. I mean, we do have a standard and that standard is the Word of God. But the reason those ethics departments are in high gear is because our technology is outpacing our morality. So when our ethic and our ability outpaces morality, we end up being able to do some things that probably we ought not do. I mean, just stop and think about today the advances that we have in medical science. We can do some things in medicine today, but just because we can do them doesn't mean that we should or ought to do them. You see, those are gray areas. But now, let's bring it down maybe a little bit closer to home as it relates to a gray area. Here's some gray area topics. Who should I marry? Because I don't know about you, but I I didn't go to God's Word and it said, Richie Allen, thou shalt marry Heather. Just didn't say that. (laughs) uh, What should you do for a living? What is your profession? What's going to be your major in college? What are you going to study? Uh, Where are you going to live? Uh, uh, What company are you going to work for? All of these things. Uh, Have you noticed you can't go to the Bible and get answers directly for those questions? But there are some principles contained within God's Word that will help us make good decisions. And by the way, I think life is filled with these gray area tough decisions because naturally a part of maturity as a believer is your decision-making ability. And God wants you to be a good decision-maker. And the basis of our decisions naturally is the principles contained within the Word of God. Hey, do you know anybody that's just a bad decision-maker? They just by golly cannot make a good decision I mean, I, I, I know some folks <laughs> like that. You know, it seems like if, if it's a true or false answer, uh, they got 50-50 shot, they're going to get it wrong 100% of the time. Well, th- things like this help us in our decision-making abilities. So let's look at this passage today and again I've titled this Guidelines for Gray Areas and boy we could talk about gray areas till the cows come home because my world is full of them your world is full of them and our God wants us to navigate them for His honor and glory. So here we go. How is it that We navigate these gray areas in life. Well, Paul lays down some principles here, and I want to identify three of them for you today. I think the first thing he tells us is that when we are navigating gray areas, that we should first establish parameters. Establish the parameters of what it is that we're talking about. All right? Look what he does in verse number 23. And you notice that this is not the first time we have encountered this phrase. He's already used this phrase one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we said that what he was doing is he was quoting a popular slogan that was used by the libertinists there in Corinth that said, we can do whatever we want to. We've been set free in Christ. Nothing nothing constrains us. We have complete freedom and liberty to do anything we want to. And as contained, that sentiment is contained in the first part of these expressions, all things are lawful. But Paul kind of mitigates that when he says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Now when we dealt with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we talked about categorical and uncategorical statements, right? And here we have one of those unqualified Categorical statements where they say all things are lawful. We've got to set some parameters. Because just taken at face value, is that statement true? And it's not true because some things are not lawful. For instance, it's not lawful to drive 85 miles an hour down Highway 167 on your way to Troy. (laughs) Really, Jerry says... The reason I know that is because I saw somebody stopped on the side of the road with blue lights behind them. So it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, you say, hey, they are serious about 167, aren't they? By golly, you better, you better be doing speed limit. You better, you better drive under the law and not under grace on 167, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> but no, uh, let's get back to this. Some things are against the law, and we know because we have a black and white directive in Scripture. I mean, when the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit murder. I think that's pretty clear, don't you? So it's not not okay to kill somebody. So all things are not lawful. So we have to set parameters on on our gray area. Now, notice what Paul does. He says this. He says, Not all things are lawful, but uh, but not all things are profitable. And again... All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So on one hand, we have to guard against just freedom that says, I can do whatever I want to. And on the other hand, of being so legalistic that we can't do anything. So there must be parameters that are set. So Paul says, here's the parameters. The parameters is, is it against the law on one hand? And on the other hand, what good does it do? Now here's the question that we ought to be asking. And we ask the wrong... We are masters at asking the wrong questions. And you'll never get the right answer until you ask the right question. So the question that we ask ought to not be in a gray area of life, well, what's wrong with it? The question ought not be, well, who is it going to hurt? The question ought to be, What's good about it? And not just what's good about it, but who is this going to edify? Who is this going to build up? Who is this going to bless if they see me doing it? And if we'll use those questions as the standard, I think we'll have some parameters set for our gray areas in life. Now, check this out. Let Let me move on through it pretty quickly because... Uh, we've got somewhere to go here. Paul says for navigating gray areas, number one, we've got to establish some parameters, some biblical parameters. But number two, we've got to apply a principle. Now here's the principle. Look in verse number 24. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So here's the principle that Paul says we ought to be employing in our decision making. And here's what I notice. Here's what I notice about myself when I'm in a gray area. And here's what I notice about other folks when they're in gray areas. For instance, let's just use use our profession as 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 a test case here. Normally when we're making a decision about profession, what's the first thing that we normally think of? Say, money. How much money am I going to make? Number two, what are my benefits? Number three, how easy is this job going to be for me? Now, I could go on and on and on and on, but notice the focus of all of those questions against the backdrop of verse 24. Look at verse number 24 again now and see if it comes to light for you. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So if you're considering doing something like making a move somewhere for a job, it ought not be the focus about how good is this for me, but the focus ought to be is how good is this for other people around me and how good is it going to be for those there when I get there. You see, that's just a little bit different. Now stop and think about it. If we are making decisions using ourselves as the standard, how good is this going to be for me? Then what difference do we have? Or or how, how are we any different from lost people making the same decision? We're not. Because that's the same standard, that's the same criteria which lost people use in their daily decision making. It's normally what profit is there for me? How good is it going to be for me? What benefit do I have? What are my privileges? And Paul says, wait a minute. You've been born again. You've been radically changed. You are no longer living for yourself. You're living for the glory of God and the good for others. So start asking those questions and maybe it will start coming into a little better focus for you. So notice what it is that Paul does as he gives us this principle. He says... Apply this principle. Don't seek your good, but seek the good of others. My word, I can think back in recent history of some folk who have made some boneheaded decisions, including me, that if we would have just thought through it from this perspective about the the ramifications of this on others and not just me, man, that's selfish, is it not? Hey, we talked this morning a little bit about sending churches and selfish churches. A sending church focuses on others, right? A selfish church focuses on self. It's the same way with believers. A selfish believer has himself at the center. All of his decision-making criteria is about me and my good and my benefit. And Paul says, no, sir, when you were born again, you forever gave up. The privilege of using yourself as the standard. Now we're using other people as the standard. Now look what he does. He gives three practical examples. I love this. Because notice what Paul does. He gives three examples or scenarios in which to apply this principle. The first one is in private. It's in private. Verse number 25, look what he says. He says, eat anything that is sold in the marketplace without asking questions for conscience sake. So here's the the scenario that Paul's describing. Here was a Corinthian believer. They go to the cupboard see what they're going to cook for supper and the cupboard is bare. So they shut the doors of the cupboard and they go down to the local Piggly Wiggly, right? And they go to the meat counter and the butcher's back there, man, there's some pretty cuts out there. And there's some cuts that I think I can make something out of this tonight. Well, what do you do? Well, you go up there and you pick that up out of the refrigerated section and you take it straight up to the cash register and you put it down there. You pay for it and you get out without asking any questions. You see, that's a private thing. It's private. And Paul uses the word conscience here. He says, you know, if that's an issue for you, he says he's done to he's done determine the fact in these preceding verses that those false gods are just that, it's false. And here's the thing, the meat that was offered is not evil. What's evil is the intent of the person's heart who is doing the offering. But an offered pork chop does not embody evil. But here's this, there were some believers in Corinth who had not arrived at that conclusion yet. They were what Paul calls a weaker brother. So Paul says, you know, if if you're one of those weaker brothers, go buy your meat pay for it, don't ask questions, because if you ask a question, you might learn something, and it's going to violate your own conscience. And he says, don't do that. Just go take the meat and eat it, because there's nothing wrong with the meat. Um, Are there some things that violate your conscience that might not be biblical? Biblical? Because of maybe what we had ingrained in us as children or something like that. You know, there's some things that violate my conscience. And here's the thing. Uh, I was driving down 167 this morning doing 55 miles an hour. (laughs) I'm going to tell you why in a minute. (laughs) But anyway, as I was coming down, I just noticed there was a plethora of people out in their yards working. Doing garden stuff. You know, getting ready to plant. I mean, everybody knows we're supposed to plant taters Tuesday. (laughs) It's Valentine's Day. I got my seed taters right there in the back of my truck, Mr. Monk. I might have to plant them in mud, but by golly, we're going to get them in the ground, maybe. So I notice all these people out there. You know what, man, I, I love doing that kind of stuff. But when I do something like that on Sunday without going to church, my conscience just eats me up. Huh? Now, again, I don't know if that's legalism or what, but my conscience gets me sometimes for stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So here's the thing. If I want to have a clear conscience, not have a guilty conscience, just don't do it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, if you don't want to violate your conscience, just don't ask questions. It's one of the only places in Scripture I know where Paul says what you don't know won't hurt you. (laughs) But that's basically... What he tells them, because he knows that meat offered to idol is, is, is nothing. Uh, by the way, it's not what that's offered that's acceptable. It's always the condition of the worshiper's heart. Hey, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Cain and Abel, huh? Why did God accept one of their offerings and he rejected the other? It had nothing to do with the offering. It had to do with their heart. And the same way with us today. Hey, God will either accept our worship or He'll reject it. And it's not based on how good we sing or how sincere we pray. It's based upon the condition of our heart. If our heart's far from Him, then our offering is no good. Paul is dealing with that kind of stuff here. Now check this out. He gives another scenario. He gives one in private and then he gives another from a psalm. Check this out. Look what he says in verse number 26. For the earth is the Lord's and all that contains. That is a direct quotation from Psalm, no S, because it's a singular, not a plural. If we had two of them, it would be Psalms. You have one, it's a Psalm. So it's Psalm 24. He quotes from Psalm 24. And here's what he says. He gives this biblical substantiation about why you can eat that meat and you not be sinning by eating that meat. And boy, that's a pretty good way to do it, ain't it? look at let's see what scripture says about it and Paul says here we have a principle found in Psalm here 24 here's the principle the earth is the Lord's and all it contains so here's what Paul's saying where do you think that meat come from who's the originator of that meat it's God's That's exactly right but now wait a minute let's go back to point number one and establish some parameters can we do that because we constantly you don't do this one time and let it down you gotta constantly be evaluating in light of parameters because here's what I know. There's a lot of folk, just like those that Paul were writing to, who are libertarians, and they'll use this verse to justify anything. I heard a dope head say the other day, using this verse, that God is the one who created marijuana. Therefore, it's all right for us to take it. Thank you, Lane. I'm glad you find that amusing. <laughs> but it is amusing it's funny isn't it you know what I said to him I said God also created arsenic here's a tablespoon of that you know I mean come on we've got to have parameters use the same parameters and use the same principles (laughs) I mean just because God created it don't mean you roll it up in paper and you smoke you a big doobie that's not what he's saying huh (laughs) everything has a purpose and That's not the purpose for which God created it, huh? Am I right or am I wrong? (laughs) So, yeah, that's right. Well, wait a minute. Common sense isn't common anymore, Mr. Monk. (laughs) Not a lot of folk have that anymore. So he uses this as the substantiation for one thing, but make no mistake about it, there are parameters still on that. There are principles that we still have to apply in here. Now check out the next scenario that he uses and says we got to apply a principle. In one case he says eat. In another case he says don't eat. How in the world are you going to know what to do? Well, we're applying principles. One is in private. One comes from a psalm. But the other is in public. Now look with me in verses 27 through 28. Well, actually all the way through 30. Look what Paul says. He gives another scenario for them. And boy, isn't it just like like the Lord to give two scenarios and one you do it and the other you don't? What's he trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to so know his word and to so walk closely with him until we can know in each situation what is for the good of others and for the glory of God and we we can track that course out. So here he goes. Look what he does. He gives now a public... Scenario, the first one was private Now this one is public Would you agree with me That it's a whole lot different When you do something in your home As opposed to when you do it at a restaurant You know what I'm saying And that's what Paul is is, is recognizing here Here's the public scenario he gives you Look what he says He says in verse number 27 If one of the unbelievers invites you Now what is he talking about Stop right there He's talking about if, if one of the unbelievers invites you to their house for dinner. So you just got an invitation to come and hang out with some folk and have a good uh, tenderloin smoked on the grill. Now check this out. Notice, let's walk on through this invitation. If one of the unbelievers invites you, here, there's two conditions. One of them, if you're invited by an unbeliever, second condition... If you want to go, well, that would have wiped me out right there, Lisa. Because <laughs> all I want to do is sit home, Jerry. <laughs> you know, I mean, home is my favorite place in the, on the on in the in the planet. I just soon sit right there. When I want to go hang out with a heathen and eat a piece of meat that was sacrificed to an idol, for now I can sit right here in my own house, shoot a deer out the back window and cook him, and he and been offered to nobody but me, huh? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So I like that Paul does that. He gives us two conditions. If you're invited and you want to go. Dilemma solved for me. I don't have to worry about this gray area. All right. I'm glad y'all let me cut up every now and then. Look, if one of the unbelievers invites you to come to his house and have dinner and you want to go, here's what Paul says. Eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you while you're there at that dinner party this is meat meat sacrificed to idols do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for conscience sake I mean not your own conscience. Again, Paul's, now Paul's getting their eyes off of themselves. Not your conscience, but the conscience of the other man. So he gives us some principles here, and here's what he tells us that we're to do. If you're invited to a dinner party, you want to go, and you sit down to eat, you tuck your napkin into your, into your neck, and you're about to cut that big old juicy steak, And somebody on the other end of the table says, you know this meat was sacrificed to a demon god. Then he says, push it away and don't eat it. Not because you can't or it's sinful, not for your conscience, but for the conscience of whoever it was that piped up and said, hey, this meat sacrificed to idols. Now here's where it gets interesting. Here's why Paul said that. And here's what you and I are to learn to do. I'm grateful to Miss Tiffany Anderson for putting this into my vocabulary. In that moment, you've got to know how to read the room. Read the room. Stop and think about it. You're at unbelievers' house. They just sacrificed this meat to idols. That's no big deal for them. But there's somebody there that knows you're a believer. And for them to even bring this subject up, if I'm reading the room correctly, tells me that God must be doing something in their life. Because they wouldn't even know that this is an issue for me unless God was drawing them to himself. So now, if God's drawing this person to himself... In the name of Jesus, I'm not going to do anything at this stage in what God's doing to be a stumbling block for this person who's now having spiritual realities dulled upon their life. Amen. So Paul says, if that's the case, you better believe I'm going to push it back. Yeah. Read the room. Know who's around you. And Paul says, in that scenario... If there's one person there that brings this up, then they know a little bit too much. God's got to be working in their life. Check out number two. When he says, read the room, and you see this, and that dawns upon you that God's working in somebody's life, then he says, then relinquish your rights. Relinquish your... Oh, man, you have a right to do it, but is it right to do it? It is not right to do it, If it does harm to somebody else in whose life the Holy Spirit of God is at work. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. And again, the only way we can get here is to get our eyes off ourselves. Because I want to tell you what the climate is today in the good old United States of America. It's about my rights. And by golly, I've got the right to say, to do, to go anywhere I want to. And I don't give a royal rat's rump about you. Isn't that the climate in which we live? But boys and girls, listen to me. If we're going to make a difference in that sin-altered environment in which we live, we better be salt and light, and we better be different, and we better not be using the same standards. We better not be standing up demanding the same rights. We better be willing to give them away for the glory of God and the good of others. When we do that, we begin to make a difference. So he says, Give them rights up. Hey, by the way, man, I always think about stuff like this. God have mercy on my soul when I'm not willing to give up a ribeye when Jesus Christ gave up his life on an old rugged cross for me. Huh? I mean, my goodness. What does it cost me in light of what it costs cost him? God have mercy when I'm more worried about my rights than what it ought to be costing me to be a Christ follower. Check out number next, guidelines for the gray areas of life. Number one, Paul tells us, hey, when you're navigating those areas, first establish some parameters, verse number 23. Second, apply a principle, that non-selfish principle. It's not going to be based on me, but it's for the good of others. And then finally, in verse 31 through 11, 1, He says, identify priorities. Now, check out what he does here, how he sets the stage for his answer in verse 31. He says, he anticipates this question because he knows the heart of sinful people. Does he not? When he tells folk to push back from that ribeye, if somebody asks the question because obviously God must be at work in their life, when he says push back, he knows what the question of a fleshly believer is going to be. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be just what he says right here. Why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? Huh? You ever ask that? What right do you have judged me? By golly, I'm going to do whatever I want to. I don't care if you like it or not. Check out second question he, he, he says. Why am I... Slandered concerning that for which I give thanks So here we have somebody who's feigning to be spiritual and giving thanks By the way, you know why we give thanks? It's a condition of the heart Remember we done talked about the offering So they said, you know, as long as I say God is great, God is good Let us thank Him for our food Over my my dinner Then everything's good And I can do it But Paul says no Notice what he says. He says, why is, why am I, look, look at verse number 30. Let me, let me get it right. Or verse number 20. Why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? Number two, why am I slandered? I, I think he's giving us something here he didn't mean to. You go ahead and do something that's questionable. You may be okay with it in your conscience. But if somebody else has not, they're going to slander you. Huh? I mean, let me just go out there and lay the the real example on the table. Member of Grace Church, as at Applebee's Friday night, somebody from another church walks in. You got a glass of wine on your table. What do you think Grace Church is going to get? Huh? It's not just you. It's Grace Church. We'll all get it. I promise you, we will. Uh, Paul saying. You do these kind of things, and what you're going to get is slander in return. Now check out, he gives the answer in verse number 31 to those questions. Why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? Well, he gives the answer in verse 31. Whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Can I say there's your priority right there? That is the established priority of your life and my life. Whether we recognize it or not, that's why God created you. That's why God saved you. For His honor and glory alone. So that's the priority. So notice what he does in these next few verses. He gives us several ways by which God is glorified. Because we throw that word out there a lot, don't we? But in a practical matter, how is God glorified by your behavior and by my behavior? What brings glory to God? Well, Paul answers that. Look in verse number 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's everybody right there. That's everybody who's drawn a breath on this planet today. You're either a Jew, a Gentile, or you're part of the church. Am I right? So he just put the whole world before us. And he says, give no offense. So how is God glorified? Number one, God is glorified when believers are sensitive. 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 Now I don't mean, you know, sensitive in a way that you wear your emotions on your sleeve and everybody hurts your feelings. That's not what I mean. But I mean when you are sensitive to what God's doing and you're sensitive to the needs of others and you're sensitive to what will benefit them. And when we live with our eye on not what's good for me, but what's good for you. Hey, stop and think about that. If everybody in this church lived that way, if I sought your good, and you constantly sought my good, and everybody did that, how much better off would every one of us be? Because all of a sudden now I've got 110 people How many we got in here, Colin? In this building today? 136. So I've got 136 people this week looking out for my good. I'd rather have 136 doing it than just one, hadn't you? Than just me. (laughs) And it's the same way for you. If everybody did that, think how much better off we'd be. So Paul says God's glorified when believers are sensitive sensitive to others check this out number next he says this uh, Cliff what is this in verse number 33 so that what is that Woo! that is a purpose clause what is my purpose for doing this as Paul says just as I also please all men and all things not seeking my own profit there you go Paul just put the principle into practice that we identified earlier it's not about what's good for me It's it's not about my personal gain But it's about other people's personal gain. Check it out. I'm not living seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Here's number two How's God glorified? Number one, when believers are sensitive, God is glorified, number two, when when unbelievers are saved. Can you think of anything that brings more glory to God than a hellbound sinner? Who is all of a sudden miraculously transformed by the supernatural regenerating power of God? All of a sudden they were self seeking, and now all of a sudden they're changed and they're going in the other direction. And everybody's looking around, scratching their head, saying, What in the world happened to Jason? brings glory to God does it it not and here's why it does because the only way it can be explained by those head scratchers man that was a miracle only God can do that so God's glorified when unbelievers are saved do you know why we had such a wonderful time about two weeks ago when we baptized a whole slew of folk in this horse trough some because God was glorified that was, we were putting on public display God's handiwork and God's glorified. And did you notice how good it was that day? It was just a good day, wasn't it? Hey, because we are satisfied when God is glorified. We will never be satisfied until He is glorified. So if folk coming to faith in Jesus Christ means I've got to give up some of my rights, then by golly, here, you can have them. Because I want to be satisfied by seeing God glorified. Yes. Check out the next one. How is God glorified? Number one, when believers are sensitive. Number two, when unbelievers are saved. And number three, look what Paul says. It's 11.1. He here's how he finishes up the paragraph. On living for God's glory. Here's what he says. Be imitators of me just as I also am, as I also am of Christ. Number three, God is glorified when believers imitate the Savior. And you see, again, that's what the transformation is about, isn't it? Hey, man, I've been saved now. Lord, I don't even know how many years. Forever, because I'm old as dirt. I've been saved now about 47 years. I ought to be looking more like Jesus than I do like Richie by this point, had I not. And you see, this is the goal of our transformation that we be transformed and changed into the image of his beloved son we we'll to be looking more and more like Christ we'll be doing the things he does acting like him because that's God's goal in our salvation but notice what Paul does this is interesting to me he doesn't just say you guys be imitators of Christ here's what he does he says You guys imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know what he's saying? It reminds me of a story. I heard of this little girl who was in her room one night and she was screaming and crying. And she went in, her mother burst into the room and said, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Mama, I'm just afraid of the dark. And the mom said, Honey, you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is here with you. And the little girl said, yeah, I know he is, Mama, but I need somebody here that I can hug. And you see, that's what he's saying. You know, we can be super spiritual all we want to and say, won't you just follow Christ? But here's what Grace Church is wanting to say. You follow John Wilson because he's following Christ. You watch Cliff Myers navigate gray areas and tough scenarios. You imitate him as he follows Christ. You see, that's what a disciple-making church does. And by golly, we've got some good examples right around here. Paul is simply saying this. If you want to imitate Christ, find you somebody who's been doing it longer than you have, who's a little farther down the road than you have, and you follow them. Hey, listen to me, young folk. We've got a lot of young folk here. Have you all ever noticed that? Hey, a lot of gray areas out there. Get some of us old guys who are old as dirt... We're a little bit farther down the road than you are. We don't mind at all at you asking questions. We don't mind at all telling you how we messed it up so that you don't mess it up. Because God's glorified when believers imitate the Savior. Hey man, we ought to look like Him. You know why? I mean, just stop and think why you ought to look a little bit more like Him. I mean, my goodness, think of the things... We've been washed in His blood. We've been baptized into His death. We've been raised to live His life. We've been given abundant life, His abundant life. Hey, we have been grafted into Him as the vine. We have been gifted to serve His body. We've been filled with His Spirit. We live in anticipation of His second coming. We ought to look like Him because He's invested so much in us. Hey, what gray area are you facing today? Here's your takeaway. Write it down, your takeaway. Here's how you navigate your gray area. Here's your takeaway. Would it be for God's glory and for others' good? If I take this action, is it for God's glory? And is it for the good of others? And by God, if you can answer both of those in the affirmative, then I'd say you are navigating a gray area properly. Pastor Richie, how do I know what church God wants me to be a part of? Be a part of church where others are edified and God is glorified. Be a part of the church where there's some good mentors that you can follow them as they follow Christ. So if you're asking the question today, should I be a part of grace? Well, is it for God's glory? And is it for others' good? Answer that question, and you're navigating a gray area. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that in principle you address most every matter in life right here in this book. And God, I pray that you'll help us at Grace do exactly what we say we do, and that is dive into the Word and search your counsel and be willing to take the whole counsel of your Word and apply it to every area of our life. God, I thank you for a church that is concerned about your glory and about the good of others. And God, would you help us as we continue to walk down this path to get our eyes off of ourselves and on to the need of others focused outward and focused upward for your glory so I pray for those who are here today Lord that are standing at a critical juncture in a gray area I pray God that you've given them wisdom this day I pray for those who are here that's never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and today you have them at a critical juncture where they can say yes or no and I pray God today be the day they place their faith in the finished work of what jesus did on calvary's cross for their eternal salvation i pray for those whom you are calling to church membership to be a part of this grace family and community i pray today god you give them the faith to navigate this gray area and step out in faith god whatever it is you are saying to us today in jesus name may our decision may our action may the direction of our life Bring honor and glory unto you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Colin Dollar is already up here. Dr. John Wilson is up here. If God's speaking to you today and there's a decision that you need to make, you'd like one of these men to pray for you, they'd be glad to do that. Whatever he's doing, respond to it in faith.